Please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20 in the King James Version. And it came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into, the, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us, let us now go into Bethlehem and see this thing which came to pass, which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all, and all they that heard it wondered at these things that were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, and it was told unto them. This is God's word. You may be seated. It's great to be with you. Steve and I have probably been acquainted with that version of the reading since at least about 1968 when uh, Linus first read it in Charlie Brown's Christmas, right? You notice there was a little clash of texts there, so I, I told the, the guys I was going to be doing the King James today because that's the version that Paul used. But it's a great uh, passage of Scripture. That is the most read passage of Scripture in the most read book in the history of the world. Okay? So that's what we're dealing with here today. And if I was to ask you what 
what is it that that passage of Scripture, what kind of an effect that passage of Scripture has on us today? What would you say? And uh, in Russia, we, we wait for a response. Or <laughs> I'd be waiting a long time. Uh, my thunder was already stolen in the litur- liturgy. Uh, it's comfort. That passage of Scripture was given to us by God to comfort the whole world, I believe. And sure enough, that's what Isaiah says. It says, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. And then uh, it fins up in verse 5, Isaiah 40, verse 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And that's what we have in our passage today, the glory of the Lord being revealed 700 years later. So Isaiah was prophesying comfort to, to God's people, and then 700 years later, the comfort came, right? So God has a tendency <laughs> to have his own uh, schedule, and he won't be rushed. I'd like to share today seven comforts of Christmas, seven comforts of Christmas. Verse 19 says, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Comfort number one has to be the God of the universe cares so much about individual women and the shepherds that he would write about their heart condition of this one woman and this wandering group of shepherds, wandering and wandering group of shepherds in his book. Christmas is a time of such mystery the mystery of God becoming man and being born of a young virgin, that really all we can do, or mainly what we should do, is to ponder. One of my favorite authors is G.K. Chesterton because he's hilarious in his theology. Uh, We even translated his book Orthodoxy into Russian, which is basically a funny version of... of, uh, of the gospel. And he wrote in that book, the poet only asks to get his head into the heavens. It is the logician, in in the context he says, the Calvinist, it is the logician who seeks to get the heavens into his head, and it is his head that splits. At Christmas time, we must all be poets and simply accept Christmas as little children, and then all will be well. I have titled the, the message today, Comfort in a Time of Distress, and in our prayer, uh, Paul wonderfully prayed there were two distresses that the whole world is experiencing, and if you would show slide number one of a family, let me see if we can see that, there we go. I just got that this week. Uh, that is from our professor, Sergei Sudakov, in Kharkiv, Ukraine. His one church was obliterated there, but he has stayed going back and forth to Kharkiv, delivering heaters. I don't know how the heaters work inside because they don't have any electricity and they have no heat. But I see these black boxes. And uh, 
That's one of the families he delivered this to. Isn't that something? It almost looks like the Holy Family. I mean, that's, they have flashlights or something there in Kharkiv. They have no light. And this is what he wrote. I just got this from his uh, charity site. In fact, ask me, and I'll give the whole church. He has a telegram, uh, a telegram channel in English continually raising money to support uh, people. But I'll, I'll read what he just wrote. Winter Care Box's project is going on. The main idea of this project is to provide families with all necessary supplies and facilities for the cold period in case they lose electricity, heating, and power. Thanks to you, we supported 70 families and covered more than 167 people. Just know that with your help, these families will be safe during the winter. And then, just like a day later, Today we have a massive missile attack on critical infrastructure again. We don't have heating, electricity, water. Can you imagine living in an apartment building? But what a blessing that yesterday we had the opportunity to provide winter care boxes for several families more. So that's one distress is the, for the physical well-being of uh, not just millions of people, but millions of uh, thousands, at least, of believers in Ukraine, and our professor is one of those. And then we have the moral uh, challenge of 25 Russian pastors who have been so engulfed in propaganda that they have a hard time sympathizing at all with the Ukrainians, to be honest. So I... uh, I... Uh, and other leaders in our Presbytery, Russian leaders, are in a moral struggle to help them to be a valid part of the body of Christ globally. And so I just sent them a letter yesterday or the day before, a pastoral letter for Christmas, and I preached, or, or wrote the letter on, sec, on 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26, that there may may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So I cannot uh, tell you how seriously I want, I'm asking you to pray for our pastors because the world, the flesh, and the devil are sucking them down into a very dark place, and they may never come out. Or maybe they were, all, they were there all long, and they haven't you know, ever joined the global body of Christ. I don't know. So uh, pray for them, and remind me to send you uh, progress on that. Praise God. We have a, a little group of Presbyterians that are fighting uh, this battle with me, so I'm not alone in that. Okay. Christmas comfort number two, you and I could have been one village over from Bethlehem on Christmas Eve and never known anything happened. But God was launching an all-out assault on darkness in a silent night for the surrounding world. Now, you see, it happened and you could be, you could literally just be down the street and you would never have known it happened if you weren't a shepherd. And sadly, Presbyterians are all so educated, they're not, we have very few shepherds. So we wouldn't have been in on it. We would have been reading books or something, Calvin's, you know, Calvin's Institutes or something. So we would have missed Christmas. 
Now every nation in the world, 193 nations to be exact, has people reading Luke 2 at Christmas time, this passage. For me, it's the smallness of the original Christmas that is a comfort. It means that our little teeny itsy-bitsy presbytery in Russia of about 10 elders and preachers fighting back against the darkness can be the foretaste of great things in Russia and the whole world. It means that Redeemer Arlington can be the same, I'll call it twinkle, <laughs> men like me, I'm an infantry officer, we don't say the word twinkle very often, but okay, we're going to say it now, okay? <clears throat> we can be a twinkle of light here in Arlington, and God can use our twinkle to become a global bonfire of goodness in Christ in his good time. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. And I have to mention our son, Lewis, because I want you to pray for him and his wife, too. Uh, we have two missionary sons in Russia, but one has stayed there teaching in a, uh, a regular secular private school. And he has been posting things against the war. And then he just preached. He's a lay preacher. He just preached in our church that Kathy and I planted. And he preached Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, about loving your enemies. He could, have been, he could be arrested for that. And he put it online. Now, it's, it's not accessible to everybody online, but still, he could be arrested for that. So I'm very proud of him. And, uh, <laughs> but I want you to see how powerful the Word of God is with a little, a little story. <laughs> uh, we were just there. And the, when we were there in September... They announced mobilization, which means essentially all men could have been drafted into the army, all right? And so uh, we were planned, they had the presbytery meeting, so 10 of our pastors were at presbytery meeting, and then we had 15 other pastors that are mostly Pentecostal. And uh, we went and played soccer, and then I had an infamous sermon on the stadium, which was just some bleachers. And I shared with them from Exodus that God forbids us to kill the innocent, Okay, and I saw a guy, <laughs> saw one of our pastors playing on his cell phone, and <laughs> I think I even told him I was irritated that when I was preaching, he was playing on his cell phone. I was just standing on some bleachers. It was raining, so we were underneath a little cover. And he told me later that he was texting his son-in-law this Exodus passage about not killing the innocent, and the son-in-law the next day goes to the recruiting office where he's supposed to go join the army, and he tells the recruiter, he says, Sir, I will not kill the innocent. I will be useless in the Russian army. <laughs> you could be arrested for that. There, people are being tortured for that. Okay? And the uh, recruiter goes, Ah, we don't want people like you. Get out of here. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Isn't that something? The power of the Word of God. So sadly, it's probably not happening with everybody that way, but that's the power. So the light of Christ is powerful every, everywhere in the world. I thought you would find that <laughs> fascinating. I'm fascinated, uh, as I usually am with my own sermons, you know, very fascinated. <laughs> All right, the second source of distress we had mentioned in the prayer by Paul, uh, House Bill, my dad was a U.S. congressman, he would 
he would not be happy with this House bill, 8404, Respect for Marriage Act. You can't get any strain, uh, more strange or inappropriate name than that was passed. This ominous for the future of our country. But it brings us to a, a, a crucial part of the Christmas, Christmas message. I forgot my water. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to run down here and get my water. Thank you. <laughs> and that is, it says, glory to God in the highest, as well as peace on earth, goodwill to men. The peace we are offered from God and goodwill is one that always simultaneously brings glory to God. You hear me? It is not a formless peace in secular goodwill, but holy peace and holy goodwill from a holy God. When we understand that, we must lament any people anywhere calling a homosexual relationship a marriage. The peace of God is offering, the peace that God is offering at Christmas is one that in mercy names those things that separate us from God and prove we do not know Christ. He's not offering a peace that brings glory to man. He's not offering goodwill that brings glory to man and just lets us do whatever we want to do. He's offering a peace that reconciles us to a holy God. And that holiness is outlined in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. And do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The moral trajectory of our country should distress us. But even though that be the case, what is comforting in the midst of this distress is Christmas, the Christmas story. Now, to really grasp the Christmas story, let's go to Luke 2, 13 and 14 and look at it again. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace, goodwill toward men, goodwill among men, KJV. This multitude of heavenly hosts is in Greek. I'm sure some of you know this, right? What it is in Greek? That's, I'm an Aggie. I have an Aggie ring. That's an Aggie joke. It's Arrhenius Stratius, heavenly host. A direct quote from 1 Kings 22 in which... Micaiah, the prophet, is speaking to kings Ahab and Jehoshaphat. And he says, and he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven, Arrhenius Stratius, standing by him on his right hand and on his left. This means that Jesus was born to Mary with a heavenly army of innumerable angels around him at the throne of God. He was born king, or at least a royal prince, perhaps not yet enthroned. Do we understand that? <laughs> it was not just a nice thing, okay? <laughs> it was not just, well, you know, might as well have some decorations at Christmas time. Let's just have some angels sing. 
But the exact phrase is the phrase of the description of the throne of God. So Jesus was born at the throne of God with the royal escort of the creator of the universe. Do you understand me? This is a big deal. I don't know if you know that or not. (laughs) It's a very big deal. Comfort number three, the moral environment of the first Christmas. Now here we have God in Jesus' birth, according to the older texts, I'm calling them, saying, not only glory to God in the highest, but simply peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And what kind of people were the angels speaking to and about? Well, just four, just two chapters later, what happens when he reads the scripture in Nazareth? It says, <laughs> he read the scriptures, then he talked about a widow and Naaman being baptized. And then it says in Luke 4, 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with love? Love? Wrath. They were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. That was the response of the people God had proclaimed peace and goodwill toward. They wanted to throw Jesus off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. He was rather stealthy. They wanted to kill him. The first Christmas came when the very people called by God to be his people wanted to kill him. That was a greater distress than you and I have ever faced, I think, unless we've had people wanting to throw us off a cliff. Maybe you have. I haven't. I've made a lot of people mad, but they never wanted to throw me off a cliff. Christmas is all about shining God's light, God coming and winning in a very dark place and time. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, John 1 reads. What else is comforting in the Christmas story? Comfort number four. God birthed his son through the lowly and revealed the birth of his son to the humble who lead very hard lives. We just read about shepherds and a manger and how they made known abroad the saying which had been told them and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard. So my observation is the first Christmas happened to tough earthy people. That's who enjoyed the first Christmas. They were tough and they were earthy. (laughs) You can imagine. I don't know if you've been with shepherds 2,000 years ago, but uh, they probably slept with uh, sheep around if it got cold, which it does. There is snow in Israel sometimes. And you're out on a mountain, and they would be, if they were near Bethlehem, which they were, they were in Bethlehem, That's 2,500 feet higher than Galilee. So they're at a, you know, half the height of Colorado Springs, which Colorado Springs can be quite cold. So what are the shepherds like? Well, they have dogs, probably. If they were good shepherds, you have a dog, so you don't have to do all the work yourself. So they'd be sleeping under and around dogs and sheep on them and stuff. So I'm sure they were very sweet to be around. You know, I'm sure that they, they smelled great. See, rather earthy. 
and they'd be outside all the time, so they were really tough. Christmas is about God revealing himself to that kind of people. You know why I think earthy people often respond better to the gospel? You see, just two chapters later, you have the churchy people. This is where you're supposed to feel very uneasy. You have the churchy people that are in the synagogue, and they want to kill Jesus, okay? You have the earthy people out in the field, and they worship and praise God. That should make us all uneasy. <laughs> you know why I think earthy people often respond better to the gospel than educated, washed people do. Because they know they're real sinners. I, I loved being in the army because the guys knew they were sinners. They didn't argue about that. They'd argued about stuff, but they didn't argue about whether they were sinner or not. It's great to be in the army. <laughs> Whereas churchy, middle-class people often don't think they're real sinners. We're sinners, but we're very sneaky with our sins. You know, nobody knows about them. We hide them very, very well, right? So now, now you understand why God revealed himself to the shepherds. Because they... They know they're sinners. One of the reasons that denominations that require uh, college degrees have such a hard time is we have a really hard time uh, attracting and relating to shepherds. We have a very hard time with them. And yet, in the Bible, it's fishermen and shepherds that kind of lead the band, right? <laughs> so we have some work to do. The first Christmas happened through also tough, earthy people. And I have to brag on my wife. She was one. It says Mary was great with child. Okay? So we were in Russia in 1991 having to fly from, get on a train from St. Petersburg to Helsinki and then fly to London. And Kathy was great with child, Lewis our missionary in there. She was great with child, and they won't let you on a plane when you're about to have a baby for some reason. And so we put a big coat on her, but that, that little trip was very hard for her. Put a big coat on you, <laughs> she just looked like a, a rather stout woman. <laughs> Couldn't really tell she was great with child. Praise the Lord. So here, here we have Mary, a hundred miles, they're from Galilee, so 100 miles south and lower, 100 miles north, but lower than uh, Bethlehem. And we don't know how she got there, but she, uh, she got there either on a donkey or horse or walked. Great with child, right? So this is a very, very tough woman. And the other thing that we hear in this story is that there was no room in the inn, so they, they uh, had to go to a manger. And I'm going to disappoint some of you now, because that word manger is, in the Greek, the same word used in Luke 13 for stall, a, a place where animals live. So when I was little, I thought it was a place where animals lived, and I heard, later heard it was a feeding trough, so you don't really know. But here's what we do know. We don't know if it was a feeding trough that they laid Jesus in or they meant just hay in a place, for a, a little barn. 
which in, if you go to Israel today, it's a cave. They say it's a cave because uh, to this day, shepherds use caves, which makes sense. But what we do know is that Jesus, therefore, was born in a place where sheep were. And what do sheep do? <laughs> they make a mess. <laughs> so she might have been laying in clean straw, but might not have been laying in clean straw. That's what we know. So the God of the universe at Christmas time gave us Christmas through tough and earthy people. Okay? Now you say, what difference does that make? Well, obviously, in one little passage, we're meant to get the contrast. Jesus, in, on one side of the equation, is heralded by angels, could not have been a more regal, heavenly uh, escort, right? And on the other side of the equation, he was born with sheep and manure around him. <laughs> and so we were, what we are to learn from this is a sort of a syrupy, sentimental hymn, out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe, only his great eternal love made my Savior go. The lesson for me, anyway, is that no matter how much we think we've given up for Christ, or no matter how hard a life we've had, we have never given up that much. We can't. <laughs> and so this shows not only, I'll read what I wrote, Christmas is to remind us of how much God loves not just us, but the whole world. That he would be born among animals because the place for human beings was not available. And at the same time, be the creator of the universe. We cannot fathom this or explain it, but we can accept it as children. So that's what we must do. <laughs> Comfort number five, God's good tidings of great joy to all people. Verse 10 of chapter 2 says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This is where we all, as missionaries to the world, find our marching orders. Yes, it is repulsive to hear of the Marriage Protection Act and of the, Russian, the confessing Russian believers supporting the war in the Ukraine. But the birth of Christ is good tidings of great joy to all people. So we are to go to all people with the news not to overlook our sin and not to overlook their sin, but to let them know God has an answer for our sin and theirs. He comes to save us from our sins as Savior. I, I will never forget that my son served in Afghanistan for six months, and he didn't help anybody do anything except that he shared the gospel and led some people to Christ on his, on his post, Guess what sending an army somewhere does to transform people's hearts? Nothing good. <laughs> it doesn't transform anybody's heart. <laughs> but you send the gospel to a new nation, and what will you end up with? A new people. 
You see? Because Christ deals with our sin. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found. This is a great comfort to me as I share the gospel with my seemingly unbelieving brother who believes the Democratic Party came down from heaven to earth. I'm not kidding. (laughs) We do have a few arguments. This is a great comfort to me as I sit next to a woman on the bus who's from uh, Sweden, and she says she backs Putin all the way, and she's a Russian living in Sweden. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Can we talk to people that are real sinners? Can we? Why? Because even though we don't look like it, you and I are real sinners. We can speak their language. Oh, yeah, we know what sin is. We don't, we don't we, well, you know, we're Presbyterians, so we, you know, not real sinners. Comfort number six, Christmas reminds us to fear. This is the rare point on a Christmas sermon, and you'll probably never have me preach again, but okay. That's the risk we all take. Christmas reminds us to fear. When the shepherds saw the angels singing, they were phoban megan, sore afraid. And they had to be told, fear not, because being in the presence of God's angels and throne is terrifying. Technically, they were mega terrified, as the verse can be translated. The joy they felt was partially because they saw the glory of God and did not die. At the birth of Christ, we are to remember that the holy God, the morally perfect God, comes to make us like himself through a very painful process like his revealing himself to these shepherds. Luke shows the compassion of Jesus for the ailing world more clearly than the rest of the Gospels, probably. But guess what else? A God who is to be feared. The word phobos, fear, is 18 times in Luke, fear. Can you imagine? Modern, modern churches in America don't talk about the fear of God or fearing God, do they? Not much. Not very, very little. It is two times more than any other gospel. In Matthew, the word fear is nine times. In Mark, zero times. In John, four times. And the Christmas story begins in Luke, which means, in Luke 1, which mentions fear six times. The word fear is in Luke 1, six times. So I ask you, or I challenge you to go home today this Christmas season, or today, read Luke 1, and you'll find the word fear in Luke 1 six times. (laughs) How did people experience the first Christmas? Luke 1, 65. And fear came on all that dwelt round about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout the hill country of Judea. Fear came upon them. This is how people experienced the first Christmas, with fear. The fear of God continues in the gospel and climaxes in Luke 12 where where Jesus says, Fear him who after he has killed the body has the power to cast into hell. He's talking about himself. Fear him who can not only kill your body but can cast you into hell. The merciful God of the universe talks quite um, openly about hell. God gives us Christmas to remind us that without the birth 
life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we have much to fear, namely God's holiness and wrath and even hell. We are to be joyful because we do not have to only fear God, but can be accepted by Him. Luke finishes with how God expects us to be like the shepherds in his 24th chapter. It's called repentance. (laughs) The remission of sins and repentance. The joy at Christmas time is real when we realize what we deserve. The joy at Christmas time is real when we realize what we deserve, what the whole world deserves. And so Luke is very clear about that. Christmas was a time of revelation that brought great fear on the people. Number seven, the last one, at Christmas, God launches the trajectory for our lives. He has not left us without a purpose. Historically, because there was no room in the end for Joseph and Mary, Christmas is a time to invite needy people into our homes. Hebrews 13, uh, 3 reads, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware, in the King James. Entertain means to have them live with you, not to sing and dance, okay? (laughs) Although, if you like to sing and dance, I won't stop you. Luke 14, uh, later on, this same baby Jesus says, When you give a banquet, do not invite your friends and brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. This is the third slide, please. So I just got connected, I guess just a week ago, maybe, Kathy, to, uh, we have about five in our ministry in Russia that have fled the country, five families. And this is one, it's Denise Denisovich and his wife, Kathy, his wife's name is? Evelina, yes, Evelina, and with two children. They and another family are trying to move here to Texas. And if you all feel led of the Lord, you can help us bring them here. They're now, this family is now in, in Mexico, fleeing the war to not have to fight in the war. And he's a lay preacher, a wonderful guy, He's a computer programmer. We've known him for years. He's a former seminary student of ours. Ryan uh, mentioned yesterday that Christmas is a time for welcoming refugees because Jesus was a refugee. After he was born, he had to flee to Egypt. So hopefully this family and another family could somehow, some way, by God's grace, be with us here soon. So, those are the seven comforts of Christmas. I believe if we experienced all of them as God wants us to, then we can be like Tiny Tim in the Christmas Carol and say, God bless us, everyone, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.